Mayors demand more COVID data. We're in a red zone now, but we need the numbers. Why the province is stalling even as it prepares for a new set of health orders. Frustration at fitness centers. During this time, people want to work out. They want to stress relief. They want to keep fit. The provincial health flip-flop that has them spinning their wheels. And a musical act of kindness. The whole reason that he had fallen was that he had dropped his bow. How paramedics provided a lot more than first aid to this fiddle player. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We have breaking details about new measures to flatten the growing curve of COVID-19 in our province. The Premier revealing today a second component to measures announced last week by Dr. Bonnie Henry is coming. We'll get to that in a moment. First, we begin with the latest numbers and another new record. We have 762 new cases. That's the highest one-day total so far. And it brings B.C. up to 24,423 cases. Sadly, we had 10 more deaths, which means we've now lost 320 people. 209 people are in hospital, 58 of those patients in ICU. 16,919 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 6,871 active cases and 9,871 in self-isolation. In the meantime, Premier John Horgan all but announced new COVID-19 measures are coming for our province. Horgan today calling for the federal government's help with a nationwide approach to travel during the pandemic. He's stressing that all travel right now, whether it's within B.C. or across the country, should be essential only to help prevent the spread of the virus. And while the current public health advisory affecting travel between Vancouver Coastal Health and Fraser Health regions is scheduled to end on November 23rd, Horgan says a second component of that advisory is coming. So let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on that. Keith, it's clear the Premier didn't want to steal any thunder from Dr. Bonnie Henry tomorrow, but are, are there hints about what this could entail? Yeah, I think it's pretty sweeping as well, Chris. He did drop a number of hints today. But before we get to that, I want to show you a graphic that will show you why uh, what's going to happen tomorrow is actually going to happen. It's a graphic put together by our uh, graphic artist, Sally Nichols. You can see here the cases have started to rise in September. We hit 100 in July. We hit 200 in October. And since then, the virus has simply taken off. And we're not alone. This is the same graph that could be used in all pretty well every jurisdiction around the world. COVID is rampaging with existing protocols in place. And Clearly, they're not good enough. So, again, tomorrow, Dr. Barney Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix at 3 o'clock tomorrow will announce that the health order that was first announced on November 9th will be extended. That's a ban on social gatherings in Metro Vancouver. And there'll be other measures as well that will affect businesses, uh, sports, some schools. They'll be uh, re-examining uh, re the mask policy. She's not changing her mind on masks, but she's going to explain further what her policy is. And Premier Horgan, again, today singling out gyms, potentially, and other businesses for what's going to be uh, unveiled tomorrow. Dr. Henry will have more to say about gyms and other uh, businesses uh, tomorrow as she finalizes uh, the orders that she'll be bringing forward then. But I, uh, I'm confident that uh, British Columbians get this and, and we need to, to bear down for the next couple of weeks uh, to make sure that we can stop this uh, spike in transmission uh, of, of COVID-19. And Keith, uh, the big reason we need to put a or get a handle on these uh, infections is because we don't want to overwhelm the health system. But uh, health officials are already indicating maybe that's starting to happen. 
Yeah, well, actually, the joint statement that came out from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix today did specifically mention their concern about these cases potentially overwhelming the system. So, again, it's putting added pressure on the system. It's not at the danger point yet. I talked to Adrian Dix about this last week, but we're seeing, and he wasn't worried then, but we're seeing hospitalizations now climb over 200 and spiking by more than 10, 11 a day. That is cause for concern, but we're not overwhelming yet. But if we leave this unchecked, it will overwhelm the system. That's what we have to be on guard about. All right, looking forward to that uh, information tomorrow. Thank you, Keith. Now, not included in the COVID data released today is any detailed information about exactly where the COVID hotspots are or who is most at risk of community transmission. BC so far has refused to release those figures like other provinces do. And now, five Metro Vancouver mayors say that has to change to slow the spread. Richard Zussman reports. It's the province's COVID-19 hotspot. 481 new cases in the Fraser Health region in the last 24 hours. But what we don't know is are those cases in Delta, Surrey, Langley, or anywhere else in the region? You know, we're in a pandemic. I can't see why they're not giving us this information. Five of the region's mayors have sent this letter to Premier John Horgan. Frustrated, the data comes out only by health authority. And they want it not just by city, but into smaller subsections of their own community. And that would allow us to direct our resources in fighting this virus more effectively. Where this we close down our facilities in those areas that could be much, much higher than Delta as a whole, are providing more bylaw and police uh, inspections. British Columbia does occasionally break down data by city, but only provides it once a month. We're not hiding anything. We have been uh, as transparent as any jurisdiction in North America uh, on a daily basis for months. In Ontario, they track the numbers not just by city, but in Toronto, it's done by neighbourhood. British Columbia has also fallen behind when it comes to tracking race-based data. They do it elsewhere. It's been promised here, but not yet delivered. I want to say, though, that uh, Dr. Henry and public health are overwhelmed, and I don't mean that in a way of uh, can't keep pace, but there's a whole lot of work going on right now. The BC Human Rights Commissioner has said race-based data is critical to understanding and identifying inequalities. RJ Aquino from the Tulayan Filipino Diaspora Society has been pushing for government to track that information. We want to have all of this information to allow us to get the cle a clear picture that will allow you know, government to, to make informed public health policies and really to also empower the community to understand you know, how dire the situation is. Both cities and races wanting to know the answer to the same two questions. How is our community impacted and what will it take to get the information? Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. As BC's COVID case numbers spike, one of BC's largest public sector unions is raising concerns about the safety of its workers. The BCGEU says unionized staff of the Public Service Agency are now being told to get ready to return to the office, even as the second wave of the pandemic is getting worse. Aaron MacArthur reports. The office blocks are still quiet. Downtown Victoria stripped of the bulk of its workforce by work-from-home orders issued by the provincial government. Bureaucrats have been told they are now or soon will be expected to be back in the office. The union representing public sector workers has some concerns. We're hearing from members on a daily basis simply asking, is now the right time to be sending people back to offices to work? While thousands of frontline government workers in key areas remained in the workplace, 
the bulk of staffing was done remotely. The change in policy was announced at the beginning of October, based on data suggesting the COVID situation looked better than it was. The news since then has been increasingly gloomy. Cases spiking province-wide. And at the beginning of November, the provincial health officer urging workplaces to revisit safety plans and reduce exposure points. In addition, uh, we need to, to consider um, going back to actively supporting people working from home. The return to work plan has been postponed in Metro Vancouver, where caseloads are higher. For the island, the BC Public Service Agency says workplace safety plans still require physical distancing which is why the return to work is being phased in and is largely on a part-time basis. We don't have the capacity to either accept or reject uh, an employer's safety plan. Our job is to make sure that those safety plans are followed to the letter. With new province-wide restrictions likely coming Thursday, the union representing thousands of BC workers is demanding that its members be protected for the duration of the pandemic. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Indoor fitness studios in Metro Vancouver closed by provincial health orders have been left spinning over mixed messaging. While some Metro Vancouver spin and dance classes appear to be up and running again, others have been left in limbo, stuck between two bureaucracies. Grace Key reports. North Shore Academy of Dancing is back open after resubmitting a COVID-19 protocol plan to Vancouver Coastal during the two-week health order. The paperwork was a lot of work. Yeah, I believe it was a 14-page um, criteria we had to meet and, you know, me and, me and my wife were up till late. But there's confusion. Dance studios in the Fraser Health Authority remain closed and at Vancouver Coastal Health, more inconsistencies. Salted Cycle in North Vancouver is back open, but Method Indoor Cycling is on hold. The owner got an explanation from a coastal health officer. Vancouver Coastal Health was proactive in creating a checklist, but the health ministry will now be producing the guidance document. And what often is the case, coastal health documents get adopted and used for the province. So we've got people that are open in our industry and people that aren't being looked at. It's very frustrating. More frustration, the health ministry states health authorities would only be able to begin approving safety restart plans for group fitness activities if final guidance was provided by the provincial health officer. Any approvals that were provided prematurely by the health authorities are rescinded. Right now, we're getting two organizations that I don't know if it's a power struggle. I don't know what the relationship is between these authorities, but... They're fumbling the ball, and it's affecting us in a big, big way. It's a lot of work for me. It, it's upsetting. It's not frustrating. Upsetting is more the word because it's, it's, it's about our community, and it's about children who are in really tough places right now. Fraser Health hasn't approved any indoor group physical activities as it waited for provincial health guidelines. It's unclear how many Vancouver Coastal approved. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver takes a bold and controversial step to tackle drug-fueled crime and chaos. Mayor Kennedy Stewart is asking for approval to decriminalize possession of small amounts of street drugs. What supporters and critics say about it in just over a minute. Another couple comes forward with their baby's near-death experience at a local hospital and a promise they say was broken. 
later on the news hour. And a cidery gets creative to keep the cash rolling in, taking physical distancing to tasty new heights. That's later. Right now, though, as the deadly overdose crisis rages on, Vancouver's mayor is joining B.C. Premier John Horgan and Dr. Bonnie Henry in calling for the decriminalization of possession of small amounts of all illicit drugs. Kennedy Stewart says the move, if approved by Ottawa, would help declare addiction to be primarily a health issue. But as Jordan Armstrong reports, the idea hasn't been a priority for the Prime Minister. Welfare Wednesday on the downtown east side, a day when the human suffering is most visible. It's time for a new approach, says Vancouver's mayor, an approach he hopes will help end the cycle of poverty and addiction. If it passes through council, then I will be uh, writing a letter to uh, various federal ministers asking for a federal health exemption. An exemption to the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act to decriminalize the personal possession of illicit drugs. What's so important about decriminalization is it starts to uh, stop the stigma, reduce the stigma around drug use. This looks really positive. Um, we really need decriminalization. We need all kinds of safe supply. The idea is also backed by BC's premier, Canada's police chiefs, and many doctors like psychiatrist Bill McEwen, who's worked in the downtown east side for 20 years. But he points out police in Vancouver are ahead of the curve. Effectively, for over the last five years, there's not been any apprehensions for just drug possession for personal use. None. McEwen says decriminalization should be one element of a much larger solution. The part we have to get to next is having on-demand treatment. I mean, so the idea of, I need to detox off my drugs, I've got to do it now. I don't do it in 10 days from now, which is often the case. He says addiction-free housing and work-based programs should be approved at the same time as decriminalization. Ultimately, Ottawa must decide. And as recently as September, the Prime Minister rejected calls for national decriminalization. But now his Vancouver MP is suggesting the PM could be open to a regional exemption. We're open to this. I know the Prime Minister knows that this is part of the solution. What he was trying to do when he answered questions was to say this is not a silver bullet there's not just any one thing jordan armstrong global news police raids on suspected drug labs in richmond have led to the arrest of six people late last month the richmond rcmp organized crime unit moved in on three homes where it was suspected synthetic drugs were being manufactured officers seized more than 300,000 doses of suspected meth nearly 7,000 doses of suspected fentanyl and large quantities of cannabis. Several rifles and handguns, along with ammunition, were also confiscated. Police are urging landlords to inspect their properties and be on the lookout for signs of illegal activity. We encourage landlords to inspect their properties if they suspect suspicious activity. If, you're a, if you are a landlord, you should have a vested interest in your property because there's a potential that uh, there, there could be bills for the cost of the cleanup and responding agencies, and your property is likely uninhabitable due to the, the presence of the chemicals and just there's a lot of safety hazards involved in clandestine labs. More than $100,000 in cash, two cars, and other luxury items were seized. Charges against the six suspects have still not been laid. 
The mother of a man who went missing more than four years ago is making an appeal for information. Dane Stanway was 27 when he disappeared from the Gibsons area in May of 2016. He hasn't been seen since. Stanway had a lengthy criminal record and investigators say it is likely foul play was involved and that he is probably dead. His mother says he disappeared just as he was working to beat his addiction to drugs and get his life back on track. He was happy and excited to do it right this time. After many years of battling addiction, he was ready to be the true version of himself. To free himself of shame, remorse and the constant control of addiction. He wanted to make me proud. I know you're out there. I know you know what happened to Dane. You heard or saw something. I know you know where my son's body is. You have information and I know you're scared. You're a human being with a heart and I trust your heart knows what is right to give the information that can set Dane's family and friends free from this nightmare. Anyone with information is asked to call the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team or Crime Stoppers. Still ahead on the news hour, a deal too good to be true. I thought it would be cheaper to go and buy a fob and do it myself. How her Amazon purchase left her stranded in the driveway. Coming up next. Also tonight, Grand Theft Console. How thieves are making video games the hottest gift this Christmas. Traffic is steady now, eastbound on Highway 1 after clearing an earlier crash near Douglas. Pockets of volume through the Burnaby Lake stretch at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and the Real Canadian Superstores throughout B.C. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com, open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, since the pandemic, online shopping sales have surged in Canada, and that momentum is expected to continue as we head into the holiday season. But a Vancouver woman has a cautionary tale about her online shopping experience after placing an order with Amazon and purchasing an item from a third-party seller. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrew with more on this. Anne. Thanks, Chris. Jennifer Manella thought she was making a simple purchase on Amazon until it ended up costing her hundreds of dollars with little recourse from the e-commerce giant. Now she's warning consumers it's buyer beware when it comes to dealing with third-party sellers, which make up about 50% of all Amazon sales. And this looks exactly the same as the one from Amazon, except it didn't have the Mazda symbol on the back. That may have been Jennifer Manella's first clue. The key fob shell she purchased on Amazon wasn't exactly as advertised. I thought it would be cheaper to go and buy a fob and do it myself than to go to the dealership and let them do it. Jennifer's online nightmare began with a search for a simple key fob shell case. It was to replace her old shell that had worn down for her 2009 Mazda 5. She came across this product on Amazon from a third-party seller. It clearly stated no programming is required. It said simply swap your existing electronics inside this key shell and install your originally key to this key case. It was supposed to be as simple as that. Or so she thought. Jennifer went ahead and purchased two fob cases for under $30. When the products arrived and she proceeded to swap the key fobs as instructed, this happened. When I turned the car over, it would not start. She was forced to tow her vehicle to the dealership. After a vehicle diagnostic test, it was determined she now needed two new keys cut and reprogrammed for her Mazda to start up again. The total bill? 
over $400. It wasn't Mazda's fault. It was Amazon's fault. They shouldn't be listing something like that on their on their site if they can't back it. Jennifer says she reached out to Amazon and the third-party seller. I was refunded for the product, but not for the Mazda bill. Jennifer was out hundreds of dollars with no resolution in sight from Amazon. Retail analyst David Ian Gray isn't surprised. He says when it comes to third-party sellers on Amazon, consumers are taking their chances. If you're in Canada and you're buying from a Canadian company, you know that there's consumer protection laws here. You're not really covered when you're buying from anywhere in the world coming through Amazon. And so uh, shoppers should know that. Consumer Matters reached out to Amazon on Jennifer's behalf and were told, we work hard every day to delight customers and are resolving this directly with the customer. If customers have concerns or feedback, we encourage them to contact our customer service and we investigate thoroughly. I asked them for what I wanted in writing and verbally and I couldn't move that uh, forward myself. Following Consumer Matters contact with Amazon, Jennifer received a $500 gift card from Amazon as a goodwill gesture. The key fob shell she bought, now listed as currently unavailable. And the description of no programming is required removed. Again, industry experts caution when it comes to online shopping, it's probably better to select a brand you know and trust, particularly one where you have recourse in Canada other than somewhere around the world with a name you've never heard of. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. A delightful resolution to that. Thanks very much, Ann. Surrey RCMP are warning us about another crime that sprung up during this pandemic and as we get closer to the Christmas season, the theft of video game consoles. Sarah McDonald tells us how it's happening and why the consoles are such tempting targets for thieves right now. It's one of the hottest retail items on the planet, the newly released PlayStation 5 console. The demand so high, gamers and those looking to turn a profit will do just about anything to get their hands on one. In Surrey, RCMP are warning some posing as buyers are now turning to violence. They arranged a meeting and during that meeting, two men, um, they attacked him jumped him and stole uh, the PlayStation 5. In a span of just 24 hours this week, three prospective console sellers in the city were attacked. In each case, the suspects, all men, used online marketplace platforms like Facebook and Craigslist to target their victims. In two incidents Tuesday, a group of three suspects swarmed their victims and sprayed them with bear spray before taking off with the goods. We do believe that those two are connected and we believe that it was the same suspects involved in both of those instances. So in two of these three instances, uh, it was a situation where a PlayStation 5 was stolen and in one instance it was an Xbox. So these things typically go for around the $700 mark retail. I've seen these things go up as high as $1,800 to $2,000 on uh, Craigslist. Tech expert Mike Agrabo says high demand combined with low supply only feeds into the frenzy surrounding popular gaming consoles. Add to that the desire for social connection. I think the reason why these uh, these consoles, especially the PlayStation 5, are so popular right now is because of the whole social aspect. 
I'm not surprised that there's thefts with these consoles. Neither is law enforcement, who say the informal sale of any high-value item can attract criminals, advising anyone looking to capitalize off consoles to use common sense, meet in a safe place for the transaction, and always research the prospective buyer. With the suspects in this recent rash of robberies all still at large. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Still ahead, a BC cidery gets some shelter from COVID. We've absolutely been blown away by our customers' response to the tents. How it's keeping customers cozy and safe while they sip. And the agonizing close call for parents of a newborn because of a staffing glitch at Royal Columbian Hospital. Good evening. Traffic is steady in and out of the downtown core over on the Burrard Street Bridge. Camby Street Bridge is also moving well both ways. Minor delays at the Granville Street Bridge with lane closures for safety upgrades in both directions. Kermac Collision and Autoglass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. An update now to a story we brought you earlier this week. It was the heartbreaking story of a couple who say inadequate staffing of anesthesiologists cost their newborn her life. Now, another family has come forward with a similar story from the same hospital. And they were told it would never happen again. As John Hua reports, that has the latest family vowing they will not rest until Fraser Health actually makes the changes. A daughter born without a heartbeat after a nearly two-hour wait for an emergency C-section. We watched the one on staff OB run from surgery to surgery to surgery. Making matters worse, the anesthesiologist at Royal Columbian Hospital was tied up with another patient. While baby Isla was resuscitated after 17 minutes, she would die nine days later. The people around you know exactly what you need. Um, but it's, it's not there, it's not available, and so you're just entirely helpless. It's a pain Isla's mother prayed no one else should have to experience, but is now heartbroken to learn it's happened before. An eerily similar event happening just two years ago. It was the frightening start to Nora's life at Royal Columbian Hospital in January 2018. It was delayed by six hours because there was other traumas coming in that required the OR and we were told that there was only one anesthesiologist. It would take 16 minutes to get a heartbeat from Nora. Two and a half years later, her parents are thankful she's alive. They say Fraser Health gave them assurances back then. This wouldn't happen again. He reassured us that everything was being taken very seriously, and he actually gave us his personal cell phone number so that we could follow up with him. Patzer says the head of Fraser Health's obstetrics unit never returned their calls. When somebody senior in a health authority tells you that they're going to fix it, why should you doubt them? You know, do we have to now question everything that we're told? In a statement, Fraser Health writes, we are actively recruiting for dedicated 24-7 obstetrical anesthesia coverage for Royal Columbian Hospital. Until that dedicated anesthetist is recruited, hired and active, uh, it is still very disappointing. Despite different outcomes, these two families say the pain they're both experiencing won't go away until Fraser Health fulfills its promise. John Hua, Global News. 
Well, there has been a lot of information on the effects of the pandemic on mental health, but new research from UBC now focuses on the impact of quarantine and self-isolation. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, it turns out the reason for being forced to stay home has a major influence on stress levels. Two out of five Canadians report their mental health has declined since the COVID-19 pandemic began. Almost any event that's happening in your life that's difficult is made more difficult by COVID. The crisis centre of BC has brought on extra staff to cope with the 25% increase in calls. According to a recent study out of UBC, some of the greatest challenges to mental health just now are quarantine and isolation. Nearly 28% of those who had to quarantine due to contact with somebody with symptoms identified having suicidal thoughts. And 9% of those isolated due to their own symptoms engaged in self-harm. The only group not affected, those quarantined due to travel. And we think that has to do with it being a bit more predictable. People can anticipate that when returning from travel uh, that they'll have to, to do this and can be a bit more prepared. For the others, there is perhaps more uncertainty, potential loss of income, childcare challenges. And the fears around the virus itself and whether they're going to catch it or pass it along to others. And then there are the effects of isolation itself. It's hard. I mean, there's reasons why isolation is a punishment. Of course, quarantine and isolation are necessary if we're to contain the pandemic. It averts 81% of cases and 63% of deaths. So what's to be done? So one of the things that we believe can be done is for clinicians to um, uh, be aware of this and to potentially flag people and provide ongoing monitoring and assessment for mental health over a period of time. Other recommendations that authorities checking on people's adherence to quarantine orders also check on their mental health and that better use is made of online mental health support resources like bouncebackbc.ca. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Coming up later, paramedics hit the right note with a fallen patient. The whole reason that he had fallen was that he had dropped his bow. How a trio of first responders helped this former MP reach his full musical potential. And tent tasting to stay safe from COVID. The local cidery surviving the pandemic with some ingenuity. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross. Flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. It sounded for a moment there this afternoon like the roof was going to cave in at Global BC because of the rain. And so we decided to put Christy Gordon out in the elements again, because why not? <laughs> Poor Christy. I can handle it. I can handle it. I tell you, my umbrella can't. There is water coming now through the umbrella. I may have to get a new one. It's pretty nasty out here. All right, yes, so we've had a couple of uh, very stormy days. Uh, yesterday with the windstorm and now today with the rain, it would seem to be relentless, although it did let up at some points today. Quick look at some of your photos. This one from Crescent Beach showing all the logs that were washed up on the beach. I have reports actually that there are still a number of people on northern Vancouver Island that are still without power. Uh, all this rain, though, still means snow on the local mountains. Boy, they have had a ton, which is fantastic news for the skiers. But they've also had a ton of snow up in the 
the interior regions of the north coast so the inland sections look at this gloria woke up to this she said i decided just to go back inside and here's a look at the shot from smithers so um, winter wonderland up through those regions and certainly in higher elevation regions and we're still expecting snow overnight and through the day tomorrow on many of the mountain passes especially the Coquihalla. although allison and pass and the connector should get a little bit better tomorrow overall what we have is unsettled conditions so a nice little break for those of you in the interior the bulk of the moisture will be along the mountain ranges the coast mountains and then the rockies but for tomorrow it won't be like what we saw today it's more of just a chance of showers so it'll come and go uh, but certainly it will be there more so than it will go unfortunately we were hoping for a couple of drier days but that's not looking to be the case so remaining unsettled we certainly do have some flurries in the forecast for inland sections of the north coast central interior but nice breaks of blue sky through the okanagan valley and for our region scattered showers so not only are we going to see the showers tomorrow but friday and saturday also it's sort of going to be relentless this shower activity but i'll leave you with your central windows weather window let's look at the sun shall we even as it's setting it is gorgeous thank you to terry lynn wood for that one oh nice man see a little bit of that sun thanks christy our Believe BC series is back featuring stories of local businesses pivoting during the pandemic and finding a way to continue on. This week, it's the story about a cidery in the Fraser Valley extending its tasting room to the outdoors in an attempt to bring a different experience to its customers. And is it ever working? Ted Chernecki has more. Like so many businesses that rely on closely seated customers, the Fraser Valley Cider Company in Langley suddenly had a big problem. There's capacity limitations, can't do tastings inside anymore, um, outdoor seating only, which in a, in a climate like Vancouver can be a little tricky. Um, so they've really tried to you know, do the best they can to roll with some of these changes. We've always had a plan B, but this year we've had to have a plan C, D and E as well. And we've come through it all right. The solution, wind sturdy tents for outside sitting each with its own wood-burning stove and blankets for anyone finding it cold. So we've absolutely been blown away by our customers' response to the tents. We thought we'd probably get them 50% booked, you know, most weekends, but they've been fully booked. They're booked all the way out to Christmas. I never would have thought of an idea like this. So to take their existing setup and really just sort of create these enclosed areas where customers can come and enjoy, enjoy the cider and um, hang out together is a great, I think it was a great idea. After buying the farm, the owner quickly ran out of money for improvements, so she improvised, turning apple crates and pallets into funky furniture that are now one of the many reasons people like to hang out here. We've been super supported by our customers. Our staff have worked really hard and we've had to adapt, but we've come through it successfully. Everybody's still gainfully employed and the business still has its doors open. And you might be surprised to learn where some of her best ideas come from. I would just say, start talking to people about the issues you're having. Being creative, um, get people's input. I often find when I've got a problem with the business, I just start talking to my customers about the challenges we're facing, and they'll suggest the solution. Ted Chernacki, Global News. I thought she was going to say the idea was hatched over a couple of... Pint of cider, <laughs> maybe. Well, customer's oh, always right in this case, right? Seems to have worked out. That's right. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right, Squire mm -hmm. has uh, joined the gang. What do you have coming up for us, Squire? Well, um, the terrible injury and the tremendous recovery of the Vancouver Warriors' Nick Beleach. You want to prove those people that, says, that said you can't do it. You want to try and prove them wrong. We'll show you everything he went through to proving 
those people wrong. Also coming up later, how a Vancouver Island musician is playing a special tune for the paramedics who came to his rescue. Wednesday, that's right. <laughs> it is Wednesday, which means Thursday night football tomorrow and not a lot of time for the Seattle Seahawks to get things straightened out. Here's Squire with sports. Well, we might have some good news for them. Um, we've talked a lot about Russell Wilson not playing very Russell Wilson-like of late uh, with the big game coming up against Arizona tomorrow night. Now, Wilson needs somebody reliable to hand the ball off to, take some of the pressure off of him. And for the first time in a few weeks, he might have that. Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde have both been working out at practice this week. It looks like at least one of them should be able to play against the Cards. Did make it through the week, and, and uh, Carlos looked strong throughout. Um, Chris, we're going to wait until tomorrow to figure out what we're doing with it. Uh, but he did, he, he did practice and, and look good in all the stuff that he did. So uh, we're real close with Chris, feeling really good that, that Carlos will be out there. Well, be them in Oakland, Los Angeles, or now Las Vegas, the Raiders have always liked to be the bad boys of the NFL. Covet that role. A lot of their old players used to say Raider rule number one was cheating is encouraged, and rule number two was see rule number one. Whatever it took to win, basically. Just win, baby, as Al Davis used to say. But cheating at COVID restrictions is not being tolerated. The NFL has already fined the Raiders $1.2 million for breaking various COVID protocols. Now today we find out seven more of their players were put on the COVID-19 list for their next game against Kansas City, which means in total they have 11 guys on that list for that upcoming game. But the game seems in no danger of being postponed. New York Mets second baseman Robinson Cano suspended for all of next season by Major League Baseball. He tested positive for the steroid Stanozolo, which is Ben Johnson's old drug. That's kicking it 80s style with a PED. Um, This is the second time Cano has been busted for performance-enhancing drugs. Last time it was 80 games a couple of years ago in Seattle. Uh, He's suspended for next season, which means he loses all of his $24 million salary, which actually isn't bad for the Mets because they saved $24 million on a player who's kind of fading away a bit. Anthony Edwards, first overall in the NBA draft tonight to Minnesota. Uh, Center James Wiseman, interesting he only played a few college games because of eligibility rules, but he is going second overall to Golden State. And LaMelo, Lonzo's younger brother, Ball, third overall to Charlotte. Nick Beleach of the Vancouver Warriors looked like his career with them and in lacrosse may have been over because of a devastating knee injury. But he is determined that when he leaves the game, he will do it on his own terms and walking off the floor, not carried off the floor. I'm at the gym three times a week. It's a lot of, lot of hard work, a lot of, uh, lot of effort. It's been maximum effort and dedication for Nick Bielich during his extended and complicated offseason, one that began way too soon for the Vancouver Warriors defender. And now an injury here. That did not look good. He is in pain, grabbing his right leg. At the time of the injury, I knew something was wrong. Uh, I remember going into the, the dressing room, and uh, by that point, all the pain was gone. So I was asking if, if you know, if I could go back out there, 
and uh, and I just saw a lot of heads going uh, left to right saying no uh, you're kind of done so uh, after that point I kind of knew something was really wrong he's not the type of guy that's gonna feign an injury or anything like that so when he went down and you could hear the screams uh, it's just oh my god this is not good this would be the pinnacle of blowing out your knee this is the x-ray of Nick's catastrophic knee injury Dr. Trevor Stone is the orthopedic surgeon responsible for rebuilding and putting Nick's knee back together. He dislocated the knee, uh, which is, these are the injuries that make the highlight reels in, uh, in the newscast because of the fact that they are so dramatic. Um, but they also make the highlight reel at conferences because they're some of the most difficult to manage and some of the, and the ones that we have sort of sometimes the least success with. The scar Nick now sports on his knee from shredding his ligaments is the lone stat of his one and only game played for the Warriors. I've had uh, a hernia surgery, I've had uh, broken fibula, ankle surgery, and um, you know, compared to to what I've been through, uh, this, this, this knee surgery was definitely, definitely the hardest uh, injury I've had to overcome. Overcome being the key word here. It's been a year since the soon-to-be 31-year-old suffered what many believe to be a career-ending injury, but not Nick. He's planning on playing again, and not just for himself. His older brother Stefan passing away suddenly just months prior to Nick making his Warriors debut. Losing my brother was one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through, so uh, a knee injury like this is, is pretty minor. Really, it comes down to, you know, his heart and his desire to uh, to put in the work, and that's one thing that uh, Nick has, one of many things. But he's put in the work, and he he still has a long way to go. But we're confident that he keeps his work ethic uh, the way it's going. That we're going to see some real uh, good signs uh, when the season starts. It's incredible what some athletes go through to get back on the field of play, yeah. and what doctors can do, right? Well, that's true. At one time, that would have been it but yeah. not anymore. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jada Rant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. JD. Thank you, Sophie. Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix will be holding their next COVID-19 briefing tomorrow, and there's growing speculation over what measures are being considered to deal with the rising infection rates. There's mounting pressure to bring in a mandatory mask policy to help flatten the curve. The provincial health officer has been reluctant to have them mandated, but we'll look at who's making the case for masks. That story and a lot more when you join us tonight at 11. Sophie, Chris. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. All right. When we come back, paramedics come to the rescue of a musician in more ways than one. That story is coming up next. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC Energy at Work. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A team of paramedics decided to pay it forward after their heartstrings were pulled by an 85-year-old fiddler. After treating Wally Firth, they set out on a mission to surprise the senior with a replacement bow for his prized instrument. Kylie Stanton has more on how his incredible story struck a chord. For paramedics, too much of their day sounds like this. We were just going call to call to call. So when there's a chance to hear a different tune, they're all ears. Sometimes we have time to stop and talk and hang out with our patients a little bit longer. In September, Darren McDonald and his team responded to a routine call here at the Glen Shield Seniors Residence. 
where they met Wally Firth. I took a bad fall. They got me up and got me seated. And then they got to talking. The whole reason that he had fallen was that he had dropped his bow. And I just had to ask him to play his violin for us. He kept apologizing. He kept saying, I'm so sorry, I can't play to my best of my ability because of the quality of my bow. You see, Wally Firth has never been big on possessions. I have nothing, but I have memories. I have good feeling about what I was able to do. Firth started out as a fur trader, working for the Hudson's Bay Company. He got his commercial pilot's license, was a broadcaster and Indigenous rights advocate, before becoming a member of Parliament. Here, Elliot Trudeau was the Prime Minister at the time. But no matter where life took him, music was Firth's constant. And the fiddle, the soundtrack to an extraordinary life. We realized how really amazing this man was. McDonald left feeling compelled to do something. So without using Firth's name, he made a public post on Facebook, writing, I am hoping someone has a lead on an inexpensive or free bow with real horsehair that I can provide to this gentleman to allow him to play his fiddle in his late days of retirement. I finally heard back from somebody who I had no knowledge of. I said, well, uh, through Lama Queen Music, I don't mind uh, donating a used bow. The team picked it up and personally delivered it, taking in another performance. He would just smiling ear to ear. That smile hasn't faded. Amazing, truly amazing. And now, neither will the music. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. That's an amazing life. And there is good in this world. We mm. cannot forget that. People being kind to one another. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And great music. All right. Yeah. I did notice earlier that uh, while we stuck Christy outside, we put Squire on a nice, comfortable couch. Sorry about that, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> I have papers, though. They right. would have gotten wet. Okay. Christy so knows everything. Christy's off right, the top of her I head. No she just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it is, but I still have some papers as well. <laughs> Uh, you guys, it is going to be wet. Keep the rain jacket and umbrellas handy. It won't be consistent, quite like what we saw today, uh, although we did see some breaks. But uh, for the most part, it will be on and off for the next couple of days. So uh, keep it going. The wet weather, it is November after all. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, now is the time. All right. Thanks very much, Christy, and thank you for watching. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, all. See you tomorrow.